are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Depression Session. We're at the Depression Session on KTDTLP Tucson, Downtown Radio. Today, we have with us in the studio, Jennifer Scott, film producer of Open Eyes Productions, LLC. Her current film, Eyes Upon Awakening, is about her own suicidal depression. So, trigger warning, today's episode does discuss suicide. So, if that's an issue for you, this might not be the episode for you. We'll get back to Jennifer in just a minute, but first, let's just start with imposter. So this week, I've been thinking a lot about feeling like an imposter, because my depression's not that bad. And I think a lot of people with depression tell themselves, oh, it's not that bad. I'm, I'm just a little off, or, you know, I, I don't have deep, dark depression, so it's not real. It's not bad. Well, I only have this, and it'll be better, and, you know, I could do something about it, but I haven't. And that's really different than not having depression. <laughs> it's still depression. It's still debilitating. If it's affecting your life, it, it's real. And it's hard for me to feel that way because the wonderful thing about this show is I keep hearing like these really intimate, dear stories that, from the heart, really authentic stories of people and their suffering with depression. And some of the stuff is dark. And it's it's really like the depths that you can go to with depression are are almost unbearable. And I don't have that. So I, I've come away feeling a little bit like a phony. I'm like, well, I have this depression show, but my depression isn't really bad. It's just, you know, kind of a low grade three year stint of not feeling okay. <laughs> but there is no just depression. It's I don't have suicidal ideation, right? I'm not having anxiety lately I've just you know I've had anxiety in the past but I don't have any right now and I feel really fortunate for that so it's not I don't have anxiety and depression I don't have suicidal ideation and depression I don't have deep dark sad feelings and depression I have low grade regular old I don't feel right I don't feel like doing anything going anywhere seeing anyone being out in the world I want to isolate I don't want to call people back when someone I love calls me, I don't want to pick up the phone. And I make myself pick up the phone and they say, hey, you want to go for a walk? And I think, no, <laughs> no, I never want to go anywhere. I'd like to get in bed. It's cold out. It's miserable. I don't want to go for a walk. And instead I say, yeah, yeah, yes, let's go for a walk. That is a fantastic idea. And I hang up the phone and I think, you will enjoy this. It's good to get outside. And I go on a walk and I do enjoy it, but it's I just would like to get to the point where I feel like I'd like to do stuff with friends again, like I'd like to leave the house. And the the funny thing, of course, is even with all that, I feel like a total imposter. Like, I don't have real depression. Real depression is all this other stuff. But the thing I'm realizing is each and every person experiences it in such a personal way. Your depression doesn't have to look like anybody else's. Because I'm depressed and not anxious doesn't mean I'm less depressed. Because I'm depressed but not suicidal, that doesn't mean I'm less depressed. Because I'm depressed and I haven't experienced some of the real depths of hopelessness does not mean I'm not depressed. And I'm trying to talk myself here into feeling 
like I, you know, I have a right to speak about it. And I think many of us feel like no matter what your situation, you feel like you can't tell anybody because it's so awful or you feel like you can't tell anybody because you don't want them to feel worse or you feel like it might trigger them because you know they suffer with things or you feel like you can't tell anyone because it's really not that bad. So you should just be quiet. But this is a show about not being quiet. And every week I make myself tell another story, (laughs) put put it out there like, hello, I'm Laura Milkins and I'm depressed. And I think that that's probably the most healthy part of it. I'm I'm not going to stop feeling like an imposter in my life here. I do feel a little bit like I'm I'm an imposter when I'm feeling happy. I'm an imposter when I'm feeling like I'm having a good time because it's like, well, how can I be depressed and be having a good time? How can that be possible? Well, your depression can come and go a little bit. It doesn't have to be just one thing. It doesn't have to be a set thing like I'm depressed all week only. And somebody asked me, what are you going to do when you feel better? (laughs) What's your show going to be about when you're not depressed anymore? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not going to worry about that yet. I would love that. That would be fantastic. If I was doing a show about depression and I was no longer depressed, that's that's worst case scenario sounds pretty good. I had a practice session yesterday, which I have people over to my house to talk about their depression. And in the practice session, one of the women, actually all three of them talked about being drawn to theater. And getting involved with theater because it it felt like a group of people that could understand them. There was something about it that was enticing. And the interesting thing is she said, what I like about it is I could just be someone else for a little while. And I thought, there's another feeling of being an imposter. If I can just be someone else, have someone else's feelings, have their thoughts, speak these words that are somebody else's, I'll feel better. So it's it's an interesting thing being depressed and all the different ways that we feel like in our lives, not just with depression, but in our lives, we feel like some kind of imposter because somebody else's experience is more real than ours. Somebody else is having something that's deep, meaningful. And what I'm doing is just stupid. (laughs) What I'm doing is just this pointless kind of blah, right? And other people are having these revelations. Well, my revelation is don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) whatever you're feeling, it's real. Don't compare yourself to other people. And this is me talking to myself here. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't decide that what you have have and what you're experiencing is less, because it's not less. It just is. It is what it is. Whatever your experience is, that is what you are, are tied into. That is what your real experience of life. The thing that is magic about this show is that people come in and they are authentic and they tell their real story exactly as they remember it and exactly how they experience it and it is not about comparing your experience to anybody else's and I hope that people listening have that experience of feeling connected to what somebody says feeling like that is my story that is something I can relate to so on that note today I want to introduce Jennifer Scott film producer of Open Eyes Production LLC her current film Eyes Upon Waking is about her own suicidal depression. So again, just a quick trigger warning. Today's episode does include issues of suicide. And so welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hi, thank you. I just wanted to ask you first, what are you working on? (laughs) (laughs) What am I not working on? As you mentioned, a feature film, uh, Eyes Upon Waking, true story. 14 years ago, twice within a week, I tried taking my life. 
And 2010, I was watching TV, and Marie Osmond's son, uh, they showed that, you know, he had just taken his life, and another actor from The Growing Pains. And I thought, wow, the way they had it televised, maybe society's ready to talk about it. So I sat down, I said, you know, as an actor, I said, you know, I'm going to, they say, write what you know. So I said, okay, I'm going to see if I can write a short. Not that anyone would have any interest on that subject matter, but it's what I know. And I, I felt like talking about it. And when I wrote it, I started showing it to people, uh, people in the industry and not so. And they all said, you just wrote my words. You just told my story. Or I can relate. And I was floored. I had no idea. I had no idea that so many people were suffering in that aspect. So I, I, I got together with my coworker or my co-writer, Andy Gallup, and I said, hey, I think there might be a feature in this. What do you think? And so we started writing it. And uh, what are we, five years later? <laughs> we've been in production twice, and we've got 50% film so far. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. and you know, I, I know from the practice session, that's not always an easy journey. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But I'll tell you, the test of time, one thing I learned, one trigger for depression is failure. And what I keep telling people right now is embrace failure. I'm like... I don't look at it as I failed. I look at it as an opportunity to have another door, another direction that I didn't think of. So now I embrace it. But when you're suffering from depression, when you have a failure at something and not necessarily look at it that way, you take it tenfold. Yeah. Where you're just like, I, that, that's, I'm worthless. That's why I should be doing this. I shouldn't be on this earth anymore. Nobody's ever going to like me. I'm never going to get better. And goes on and on. And now I sit here and say, holy crap, how did I do all this? (laughs) You can look at it and go, I accomplished this. Yeah. It's not all successes. I I actually, I remember hearing a quote one time that success is actually not about doing things right, but actually pushing through all the rejections. Yeah. That that is actually success. You just keep going. Yeah. Despite yeah. any anything that you get that gets in your way. Yeah. But yeah. it's not about having all successes, but just continuing when you do fail. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just it. The word continuing. Yeah. You know? it, 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 I wanted to ask, how, it, because it is about suicide, how is it to replay those scenes? I mean, you're, these are autobiographical <laughs> scenes. Is that hard? Um, yeah. Yeah. I didn't think it was at first. <laughs> Originally, I went to cast somebody else to play my role because I've, I've come a lot further than when I first went through this. And then again, I was worried it would trigger and, and put me back to that point. But I started auditioning actresses and they started doing it the typical way. Oh, oh, well, what I've seen on TV and this is how I'm supposed to act out. And it's not that at all. I mean, there's certain scents and, and um, colors and things that I would remember. So when we first went in production, we were filming the first five minutes, which it's, it's heavy. It's a heavy trigger. You know, we're showing the audience right away. This is what you're getting into. And we actually filmed we filmed at my dad's house one of the scenes and my dad actually found me the second time and the stain was still on the carpet and I have to admit uh, for after that scene uh, the first second time trying to take my life my dad just held me for 30 minutes and I just cried and cried but it was a great cry it, it, was, it was such a release and so I was surprised by that and so when we went into production this last November I'm like oh yeah this is fine you know we're gonna we're gonna be okay and, you know, I mean, it's when you think about suicide and depression, you think about total darkness. And there's a lot of humor in this, on that. You know, you've got your sad moments, but you've got your upbeat moments, and there's a lot of education. There's a lot of hope in this film that a lot of people don't realize. And so going through the second time is like, I, I was also producing on set, which you don't do. <laughs> and so they'd say cut, and then I'm in the producer mode, and then they say, actually, I'm in the actor mode. But I realized because 
I didn't have to prep because it was, I just said, oh, okay, I remember exactly how this happened. Just, can you guys tell me where to stand? Where's the lighting? Boom. I got my blocking. And I was so amazed that by the time we were saying action, it just came out. Mm-hmm. And I was... I was, I'm not going to lie, I was taken back to that moment 14 years ago, definitely. Yeah. But then I handle a lot better than the first time. And it just shows me that there was a lot of growth. But then the emotional scenes, there's this amazing scene in the kitchen where Taryn's just so, you get so exhausted, even if you're grieving, that when, there's no more sound coming out of your mouth when you're crying. Right. And the scene I'm watching, and I'm like, did we not have sound on? They're like, Jen, that's just you, and you just watch it. And I started tearing up. And I'm like, holy crap, that's me. But then I just realized that, okay, you know, there's going to be part of that. But I think just talking about it yeah. and getting it out there helps you with the next level and helps you feel safe. And my crew made me feel safe. Wow. So that's a perfect note to segue into. Jen, tell us the story of your depression. It's not until, you know, really the film realizing this. But when I started thinking about and reflection, going back to probably as early as 14, possibly younger, I grew up with a lot of verbal, um, a lot of mental abuse. There wasn't any scars so you know no one really believed me so they didn't talk about that I didn't know what was going on I was just trying to survive so I didn't realize I was going through a, a type of depression and they didn't talk about it so we didn't want, know what the symptoms are I mean we're still figuring that out right now because like you said too everybody's case is different and there's times when I'm thinking oh yeah when I was younger man I used to sleep 14 16 hours on the weekends and and everyone's like, that's odd. I'm like, that's not normal. I'm like, sleep is good. I'm like, I'm lucky I get six to eight right now. And again, okay, that's a sign of depression. Or if I'd go out for a sport or go out for something, I, I could, you know, if I didn't get it, it didn't necessarily meant that I wasn't good. It just meant I wasn't the right person for that. And you start beating yourself up. Going to adulthood, you know, and went into my corporate career or into my uh, class when I was going to school and everything. And... Yeah, it's it's really weird. It's 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 I can't really pinpoint it, but going through and writing my story and reliving that and then understanding the triggers that I really was depressed at a young age. I didn't understand why if I had a hangnail and I'd fester on it, you know, for like hours or everybody else be like, ouch, pull it out, that hurts and then they'd forget about it. I didn't understand why there was times when I'd cry uncontrollably. I mean, you, you hear these people watching commercials, and it's like, well, I'm not pregnant, so <laughs> you know, I'm not hormonal. Yeah, it's 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 hard to it's hard to really pinpoint that one day, but I do I do know that I have it, and I know it's not going to go away. But I also know that because of this, I'm embracing it and I'm taking control of it. And I'm realizing if I'm not sleeping and I'm not eating, something so simple on that um, can really trigger it. If I'm not allowing myself to just make a mistake, then it's going to continue. But when I start recognizing these things, it could be like, you know what? You're fine, Jen. You're fine. You've been through this. It's not. It's like an old friend. I don't want to say old enemy. It's like an old friend. You know each other. You just get through it. You just jump through the hoop. Yeah. And then I'd love it if you could tell us a little more about, like, if you don't mind, the the actual story of of the suicidal depression part of it. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so I was living in Montreal. It's the first time I couldn't work as an American uh, unless you're uh, specializing in some sort of skill that someone in their country doesn't have. And so the gentleman I was engaged with at the time, was uh, he was British, and so he brought me over there. And I realized that was the first time that I was actually alone. And he would go away, and some of the gentlemen, you know, would bring their wives or girlfriends over. And, and I was always the person that would be entertaining them. So it's like, you know, the minute I woke up, my door's on, we get the kettle, I try to do road trips for them. 
And all of a sudden they moved us to uh, a larger apartment, which was great, but they moved us further from everybody. So the women wouldn't come by and visit, and I found myself more and more isolated. And, you know, this is during the wintertime, and, you know, the winters are cold and long and dark. And I just didn't realize what the isolation, then I stopped eating. Um, I had no desire to get up or go out. He'd go to work, and I'm like, well, why why bother getting up? It's so cold outside. Why do I want to do that? And so basically, you know, we had an argument, and it triggered and of course at that time I was drinking and he went back to the bar and I went through the cabinets to find every piece of anything that I could swallow that I thought would put me out and I found a razor and big razors don't necessarily work and found a knife and it's kind of dull and it was one of those things that I didn't realize once once you get to that point when you break the skin and the blood starts coming out you start realizing you're serious and you think about, how did I get here? But when you're in that blackness, people say, oh, if I only have known. When you're in that blackness, you don't realize you're in that blackness. You don't want to talk to anybody. You want to go anywhere. And so basically what I did was I, I thought, well, I'm not dying quick enough. So I went down to a neighbor's, covered up my sleeves as it was bleeding. I thought, well, I'll convince them and say Kevin and I had a fight. And they let me in. I thought, okay, can I just sleep on the couch and I'll be fine. And I didn't feel I was dying quick enough, so I went through their medicine cabinet and started taking everything there. And I laid down again and felt still again I wasn't dying quick enough. And I went back upstairs to our apartment, and then I passed out. And, uh, you know, Kevin brought me to the hospital. Basically, Canada's not a big fan of suicide, or Americans maybe. The only thing they said to me in English was, next time get a bottle of Tylenol. Uh, They sent me back here to Arizona with my dad under supervision. Believe it or not, I got baptized in between, and all I kept thinking was about how to finish it, what the doctor said is, next time do this. So my dad and I, we went out for dinner, we came back, he went to bed, I just kept hearing the voice, and I drove to the store, it's like 10 o'clock at night, and I got 200, a big bottle, 250 Tylenol, and I remember the woman so nice at the counter, and I thought she's going to be the last person to see me. Opened up a beer, uh, sat on my bed, and put that down. I actually picked up water, and this time I did it sober. And I didn't slice my wrist, but I thought, I'm going to swallow these, and this has got to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, what people don't know, there's a time release, <laughs> and then you throw it up and go through it all over again. And this time, my dad heard me. I you know, knocked over a lamp, and the, I remember the ambulance poking me and then waking up in the hospital two days later. And... Even then, you know, I thought, well, I was going to try to talk myself out. Here's the funny thing. Talking about this, I had several attempts prior that I didn't think about. Like, oh, I took five pills here or ten, you know, sleeping pills. Oh, my boyfriend and I had a fight and that. Well, they're cry for helps. And I didn't realize that. And, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think I would ever be one of those to actually go to that, that extreme. Um, where I'm at right now, there's, there's no way in heck. I mean, you can be sad, but... You know, I think I had to be at my lowest to be at my best right now. And now with my movie, I felt that I have to take them to the absolute rawness and the truth to understand that this is where people in the journey do go to, but you don't have to always be here and that there is hope. Yeah. 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 And it almost sounds like doing the film is like a saving grace. It is. And I didn't realize it was not only that for me, but for others. I've had more strangers just from watching the footage or listening to interviews saying, well, you've given me the courage to talk about it, even to my family, or for me to go to a therapist and get some talk, or you know, or, or um, a session on that. 
And I didn't realize that. And so now what I'm finding is when I started this journey in 2010, I'd mention it. People go, oh, you know, like, what's your film? Like, oh, you know, deals two choice, you know, suicide, depression. You know, and they're like, oh, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm Jen Scott. I don't make films like that. <laughs> <laughs> I make good, good stories. Because I thought as an audience member, how am I going to sit through 90 minutes of this? So now they're sitting here saying, well, I'm talking about it. And this one gentleman said, I, you gave me my wife back. And so now when I talk to people, one in three people, right away, they'll be like, oh, yes, yes. Or I know somebody. Or somebody silent in the background and they're shaking their head and I'm, I know that they suffer, but they're not ready to talk about it. And I'm like, that's okay. You don't have to. I'm the voice for this is my character, Taryn. I'm just the voice. But it's no longer my story, my journey. It's the voice for everybody else. And that's why I thought reaching a wider audience, somebody's going to sit here and talk about it and do it in reflection that it's not a horror story or it's not all uh, the Lifetime movie of the week on that. <laughs> and just, you know, I want other people to encourage them from this to tell their stories well because I thought, who's going to care about me? I'm not, no, I'm not famous. But I think that's better because they can relate on that, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that when it comes to telling a story, this, this program's all about telling stories, and you're also doing that with your film. Yeah. Telling a story, when you tell it authentically. Yeah. And, and so often there's a glamorizing of whatever the topic is. You know, you, if you're doing a film on suicide, you could be doing a lifetime film, right? It could be a film <laughs> yeah. where it's like, you know, the dramatic right. version of it. And I think that's what you're saying with trying to find an actor who could play it, right. who, who wouldn't take it to that place exactly. of maudlin, of like, there, there's a, when it's, when emotion is done in an honest way or told in an honest way, it doesn't feel maudlin. It tends to feel relieving. Or at yes. least that's been my experience. Like it lightens your load yeah. to have something told in a really true way, especially if it's your own story and you hear your own story told in a way that feels real. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too. I, I, I don't remember how many symptoms there are. Like if you find out that you're going to die from cancer and you go through this anger denial, you know, depression, and then acceptance type of thing. And it's funny because I actually go through this in this film and through this journey. And I didn't even realize that. <laughs> that's what was happening. I'm like, so it is. I mean, it is. It, it is it's uh, somebody said, well, you know, at least with cancer, you know, you can't help it or you want to live. And I'm like, and I keep telling people, I said, people that suffer from depression and when they try to take their life, it's not that they don't want to live. They do want to live. They just can't live with the way their mind frame or this chemical imbalance or the way that society is perceiving them and they can't feel normal in their own skin or nobody wants to help them with the fight. So it's not that they don't want to live. Trust me, they want to live. I wanted to live more than ever. But I just kept thinking, you know, oh my gosh, it's been 30 years of this. How much more of this pain and suffering can I go? And especially silently. So at least right now I'm not doing it silently, which is kind of nice. And so it's like, yeah, we got longevity. I probably will be 100, 101 now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I, I have a number of friends and, and people that are close to me that have suicidal ideation. And I don't, I don't know why that happened in my life, or maybe that's typical. And usually you might have several friends who feel that way and never tell you. Yeah. And so I've been thinking about it because you had your, this episode was coming up and I was thinking about how many people I know who have suicidal ideation, they think about it, it's part of their world, it's part of their struggle. Yeah. And they might tell a close friend, or I have a friend who will tell anybody. They'll post it on Facebook. They're totally comfortable being yeah. out. I almost feel like, it's like are you out? Yeah. <laughs> With a <what> feeling. <laughs> 
and that that like as a friend I don't I don't have suicidal ideation I don't feel like I want to die I've right. never felt that way and there, there is a difference between like feeling like you want to die and actually acting on right. it like there's like, like you said there's these little signs you do beforehand yeah. that are like maybe you're not really really trying to kill yourself but you're shouting out for some help that maybe yeah. somebody can help you before you get there yeah yeah and I'm hoping through this film that I can help keep people from getting to the the, the placement that I was at where there's that cutoff on that. I had a friend that I kept telling her, I said, these little cry for helps. I said, either you want to live or you don't because you're eventually, you're going to get to where I was at and you're going to die. Yeah. Or it's going to be an accidental overdose from the self-medication that everybody's doing with drugs and alcohol on that. And so really think about that. But when your brain gets to that blackness, you don't even realize you're in that hole. Yeah. And you can't climb yourself up and you can't talk to anybody about it. Because you were saying, too, you know, where somebody says they're going to call you up and say, hey, let's go for a walk. I'm the same way where I'll make plans and then I'll cancel. I'm like, you know what, Jen, you can't keep doing this. Yeah. And I don't mean to do that. But then it's like, well, wait, once I'm out and about, I'm so happy I'm out and about. It's just that <laughs> yeah. first instance of how do I get out of bed? How do I walk through that door? How do I put the key in the ignition? Yeah. And, and the weird thing is like sometimes I come back from one of those walks and I feel great and sometimes I come back and I'm not I, yeah. I'm still there and yeah. it, it's like uh, try not to judge how you're feeling yeah. is probably one of the harder things because if your feeling is I don't want to be here anymore and you're this desperate deep dark place like you can't even see I remember I somebody very close to me I'd gone to visit them yeah. and they lived near the beach in Michigan and I was like oh hey you want to take a walk to the beach and they're like yeah okay and, and I said okay and we were walking down to the beach and it's not far it was like five blocks and they said I haven't been to the beach all year and it was the end of August oh, and in wow. Michigan you have this short right. little window exactly. of warm beautiful weather and I'm like you haven't been to the beach so what's what's going on yeah and she just said I'm at the bottom of a deep dark pit and I cannot see the light <sighs> yeah and I went do you want to get help and she said yeah I think I do yeah and, and just being there. I mean, I've been yeah. reading all these things about, like, what do you do when somebody has depression? And the worst thing is, like, here's 12 ways of solving it. <laughs> you don't do that. You don't You don't sit here. I mean, I had a, a, a an actor friend that reached out and a couple weeks ago said he was ready to off it. And he's working all the time. He says, look, when I'm working, I'm fine. When I'm not, that's a lull. And I know he, he volunteers and he has this and he's got a good support system. But it is. It's really hard. It's it's it's. You get excited about certain things. Well, what is it? But you can't always have that item to do it. If I'm acting on the film set, I am fine. If I'm busy trying to go and raise funds, I'm fine. But in between on the weekends and I'm not doing anything working on it, then it's like, oh, wow, you know, that's that's where I worry the most. But at least I recognize that. Yeah. And that coming up there. But, yeah, it's, it's – uh, I think the other thing, too, is that people just – I have a good support system. I keep telling them. I said, I, I joke around. I've got, you know, four or five friends across the, the U.S. where I'll call them. The first thing they'll be like, Jen, what's going on? I'm like, well, wait, it's not two, three in the morning, guys. <laughs> it's a decent hour. But there's times where it's like, hey, yeah, it's your turn. And it's not that I am this, I'm going to off myself. It's I don't know why I'm feeling sad today, yeah. you know, and I just need somebody to talk to. And they're like, did you eat? Did you, you know, sleep? I'm like, yes or no. You know, yeah. you, you still keep forgetting about it. On that, and one thing I'm going to push out there, and I keep pushing on people: B6, B12, niacin, St. John's Wort. These are, are vitamins. I was watching a documentary. I don't believe in medication for myself, not not necessarily for everybody else. And uh, I've I've been doing these vitamins for about 12 years now. And I'm not saying my depression totally goes away, but man, I've noticed a big difference. I have more energy, and I don't have as many episodes. Um, and, you know, having Christ in your heart's not bad either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're coming toward the end of the show. And I just, uh, did you have any last words for anybody? 
feel safe. I mean, don't don't feel that you're alone. You're absolutely not. With Eyes Upon Waking, our website, eyesuponwaking.com, or even the Facebook, my information's there. You can always reach out to me. It's, sometimes it's easier for the stranger. But there's a lot of people love you, and you will be missed. And don't give up, and it's not your fault. Thank Embrace you so it. much, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. Again, I want to mention that if you found some of the content of today's show triggering, please seek professional help. And worst case scenario, call 911 if you're feeling like you might hurt yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.